Liminal Spaces was a six-year, welcome-funded project at Edinburgh Law School which scrutinized regulatory systems that support human health research. The vision of the project was to deliver the first-ever integrated, interdisciplinary, and cross-cutting analysis of health research regulation by confronting the gaps between documented law, relevant ethical and social theories and concepts, and research practice. To mark the end of the project in March 2021, the principal investigator, Professor Graham Laurie, sat down with members of the Liminal Spaces team to discuss their research findings. In this episode, Professor Laurie is joined by Annie Sorby to discuss the role of public interest in human health research regulation. My name is Graham Laurie, and I'm the principal investigator of the Liminal Spaces Project, and I'm very pleased to be joined by one of my colleagues, Annie Sorby. And he also brings practical experience as a former practicing lawyer who has worked on the regulation of the legal and medical professions. Welcome, Annie. Hi, Graham. Nice to be here. Excellent. So uh, as a first question, Annie, can you tell us a little bit about the background to your own research and what led you to focus on the role of public interest in health research and its regulation? So, Graham, um, as you know, I come from a, a background in legal practice that's very much rooted in regulation and in the health context. So that provides two parts of the puzzle. But I think it was really my previous work in relation to the regulation of professionals that gave me an interest in the role of the public interest more specifically. So as a legal concept, this was often central to the cases I litigated before the courts. And I was really intrigued by the apparent disconnect between these legal notions of the public interest and how this fit, fitted or indeed did not fit with empirical evidence of actual public's views. So I really jumped at the chance to work on this project to explore this in more depth in the context of health research regulation. Excellent. Um, so here's my devil's advocate question right up front. There's another problem with the public interest because it's just so vague as to be useless. Now, it appeared in the Data Protection Act, it appears over 70 times, but as a regulatory device, what value does it have given the fact that it's so vague? Well, you are quite right, of course, because uh, indeed the vagueness of the public interest leads to disputes not only about what it is, but also about how it should be understood in lots of different contexts, including in health research regulation. So I suppose that can give rise to very mild concerns at one end of the spectrum, that it's an uncertain concept, or indeed more serious worries at the other end of the spectrum, that it's a concept that might be either manipulated or misused in these contexts. So I think that sort of signals to us that indeed it's a, a contested concept, and we can agree on that at least, and it's one that calls for more conceptual clarity. But I suppose I'd also push back on that a bit as well, in terms of the vagueness also presenting opportunities. So the public interest isn't a fixed thing, so it's a dynamic rather than a static concept. And I think this has two really key implications for health research regulation. So first, the public interest has the flexibility to adapt to context. And second, it has the potential to engage with multiple interests within that context. Yeah, so I suppose it, 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 there's, there's two elements to it, aren't there? There's the, the notion of public and there's the notion of interest. And arguably, there's, there's many, looking at the first of those, there may be many, there are many publics that may make sort of seek to rely on the, on the concept. Now, how, how do you think that works? And how, how should that be folded into health research regulation? So I think that goes to how we understand the concept of the public interest in this context. So if you have a, a, a conceptualization where you are pitting on the one hand, individual interests, 
against, on the other hand, public interests, then I think indeed it's very difficult to um, bring those together. But on this project, the conception of the public interest that we've put forward is very much a holistic conception that has the ability to incorporate these um, plurality of, of views. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the, the key points that we keep coming back to is the notion that, you know, um, it's, it's easy to set public interest against private interests. You know, for example, protecting privacy, but also promoting public interest in research. But arguably, the protection of, of privacy is part of you know, our, our broader con uh, commitment to protecting public interests, part of which is a commitment to research, but also broader social interests as well. So they're not mutually um, incompatible, as it were, if you see them in, in, in that particular way. I think that's been a really important part of our research. So it's really grappling with this idea of, of publicness, which we know, of course, is, is, is quite disputed in the literature, and how that can really be operationalised in health research regulation. So I think uh, certainly our research in this area contributes to understanding how that can be operationalised and how the public interest as a concept might help us to do some of that work. Okay, so let me just pick up on that. So tell us a little bit more then about where, when and how public interest appears in health research regulation. So I think one of the reasons that the public interest is of particular interest in health research regulation specifically, as, as you flag, is that on the one hand, as you've already said, it's a persistent and established concept, but it's also one that's deployed in different ways in health research regulation. So in my research, I'm particularly interested in the ways it appears both as a legal term of art, but also in the context of the views of wider publics in relation to health research and how it's carried out. So um, you've already said uh, that the public interest can be seen in data protection legislation, such as the General Data Protection Regulation and also the Data Protection Act 2018. And here we see it as a route to lawful processing of data in health and social care research when it's in the public interest. Uh, sticking with the data use context, um, the public interest also provides an exception to the common law duty of confidentiality and can justify the disclosure of confidential information. And case law in this area is really interesting when you start to unpick that. And it really highlights that the public interest is multifaceted and can encompass both individual and collective interests. We also see this in the legislative regime that allows the Health Research Authority's Confidentiality Advisory Group to lift the common law duty of confidentiality in certain circumstances to allow data to be shared for purposes such as medical research. Again, when this is in the interest of improving patient care or it comes up again in the public interest. So I guess as a, a lawyer, it's, it's um, second nature to go to these um, legalistic uses of the public interest first. But what's been really clear from my research in this area is that this concept also features in calls for more and better public involvement and engagement in health research regulation in order to promote the public interest. So in this framing, the public interest is deployed in a slightly different way in the context of the views of wider publics about how health research is carried out. And indeed, it goes to the root question of how health research might be legitimised. That's really interesting. Can I just sort of drill down a little bit on the, the example you gave of the confidentiality advisory group. So um, as listeners will, will, will know or they can find out, if you go to uh, their website, they publish um, their understanding as a public interest, the way they've applied it to uh, applications to use data for research purposes. And the, <clears throat> the authority that they have is to allow users of data without consent for research. 
So going back to what we're saying earlier on about vagueness and concerns about how public interest might be used, does that not suggest that could potentially be seen as a risky deployment of public interest? Um, but does it not raise questions and concerns about the legitimacy of a body like the Confidentiality Advisory Group? I think that's an interesting point. I mean, the Confidentiality Group in itself is a fascinating case study because um, certainly its its predecessor body was only initially proposed as a sort of temporary move. And in fact, it's become a really established part of the data sharing landscape in, in health research. When we see the public interest deployed in this context, I think that also provides an example of how the public interest works in action and how it's operationalized in in different types of contexts. So it's really interesting to see those cases, and indeed they are published, the decisions on these. It's interesting to see these cases of themselves. Where I think we could probably take that further is thinking about what these different uses and appeals to the public interest might tell us in a broader way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, you know, what you're flagging there about the, the importance and value of a body like the Confidentiality Advisory Group publishing their decisions, they're actually showing how they are concretizing public interest in its operation. And that, that, so that, in some ways, arguably mitigates against this vagueness concern that I flagged earlier on. I think transparency has to be a key consideration, as you say, in this particular concept. So the, this, the idea that you can see how something clearly is um, going to be applied uh, so that you can understand people can understand how that might play out in practice and that of course applies both to researchers who might be trying to get some research off the ground but also to uh, participants who may be affected this and wider public so again it starts to underline the multiple stakeholders engaged in the health research endeavor I want to come back to publics and, and, and engaging with publics in, in a second. But before that, I want to push a little bit further, Annie, on potential tensions with, with public interest. Because why can't we just rely on consent? Why would we want to rely or why should we be relying on public interest rather than just asking participants, hey, can we use your data? I mean, certainly that was the view at one point, wasn't it? We, we said, well, we'll either ask people or we're anonymised. And what's been really interesting as health research has moved forward, so we've moved to much bigger data sets, uh, international uses of of data. And what has become clear that there are certain circumstances where it's just not practical or indeed possible to ask individual um, participants for particular types of consent. So while consent is always important to consider, in order to uh, undertake modern health research, there are circumstances where consent is not going to do the work that we need to do, either because it's not possible to get individual consent or because, for example, where there's longitudinal use of data, it's not actually going to do the work we want it to do. And here, I think that pushes us to think about, well, what are the other um, regulatory devices that might come into play here to do some of the work of legitimising the use of data to ensure this is used in a way that is acceptable both to individuals, but also to wider publics. Yeah, absolutely. And I would add to that from, from an ethical point of view that we shouldn't imagine that, that consent is necessarily the ethically optimal way to respect individuals and to protect their interests. We can bombard people with lots of information in, a, in, an, inform, in a, an informed consent a document, but it may not actually mean that they're informed. It may not mean that their interests are protected simply because they signed that form. And yet, historically, there has been a, 
a tendency within a lot of health research regulation to fetishize the consent model as the optimal way to go about good research. And arguably, that's not necessarily the case for all types of research, because there's so many different types of research. Indeed, and I think that's been a really interesting shift that we have seen over the years. And perhaps that also um, helps to explain in some ways why looking at these alternative models actually is so important at the moment and so very timely. Can I ask you to say a little bit about your work um, on the Data Protection Act 19, that's sorry, 2018 um, that was passed most recently and um, I know you work with our funder Welcome on, on that and particularly in and around the value of appeals to public interest when it came to uh, health research. That was a really um, amazing opportunity to have um, to work with the funder who obviously already had a um, significant work stream in terms of lobbying in relation to the Data Protection Act to make sure that it was going to facilitate and promote uh, responsible health research. Um, I think that was one of the reasons I enjoyed it so much was um, it kind of drew on my various skill sets. <laughs> so it was interesting to look um, across the research I'd done to see where there were different examples of how the public interest had been used and see how the legislation had been formed and then really to kind of draw out insights, insights looking across the piece, see how that could inform the current debate. And one thing that was quite clear from that was that it would be helpful to have a pretty clear steer about how the, the sorts of context in which the public interest could be invoked. Um, ultimately, of course, the legislators were not with us on that one in terms of the text, but there is now um, an explanatory note that goes along with the Data Protection Act 2018, which I think really helps to make it clear how um, health research might be facilitated by that. Excellent. Um, let's circle back to what you were saying earlier on about um, public interest, publics and public engagement. So how do you see the relationship between public interest and public engagement? So that's that's a really interesting question, both conceptually and in practice. Um, so uh, in terms of work we carried out on the project in our um, Delphi exercise on health research regulation, one of the really interesting findings from that was what was what uh, participants in that were telling us was that they were seeing public engagement and public interest as, as closely related um, concepts. Although what was also coming out from that was there was a lack of clarity around that relationship and also a lack of conceptual clarity in terms of public interest. So we had kind of that brought these things into the mix for us. And I think really central to my own research has also been this interest about the interrelation between the two. So I've already sort of um, sketched in how the public interest is presented in legalistic terms or indeed presented um, in relation to the views of actual publics. And um, traditionally, there's been a, a kind of disconnect between those those two understandings, which I think has really been to the detriment of how um, health research, how the public interest is operationalized in health research. So in my research, it's really been looking at how these two, in fact, do bear on one another and how they do interrelate. And I think that's important for a couple of reasons. So first of all, it's important in order that um, outputs from public involvement and engagement can, in fact, be taken up and operationalized in governance through uh, regulatory devices such as the public interest. But it's also really important to us as lawyers that we look beyond the uh, text of the law and really consider how concepts such as a public interest 
are operationalized in practice and in context. So it's not the man on the top of the Clapham omnibus, it's the public's on the top of the Clapham omnibus, <laughs> potentially. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's a joke for the lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I, I accept that, but what do you see as some of the risks associated with that line of thinking around um, some of the limitations, for example, um, with respect to public engagement exercises? I think, I mean, some of the risks around that um, are related to, um, first of all, the carrying out of public engagement. So there's a whole literature, of course, around how public engagement involvement is carried out. But I think more specifically for this project, uh, working with a background assumption, this is carried out in a thoughtful and meaningful way. Uh, the risk is that without uh, regulatory devices to incorporate that in health research regulation, either one, those outputs are then not used and not optimised. So we know from the literature that there's a gap between uh, public involvement and the implementation of that in practice. So one of the risks is that is just lost. Um, the second of which is that that is implemented in a kind of an, in an additive way. So I think that the public uh, interest as a regulatory device potentially provides um, that step between outputs from public involvement and engagement and um, really incorporating that in health research regulation. Yeah, you mentioned there, Annie, the, um, you know, the literature on public engagement. And uh, for listeners who are interested, you can uh, look to our Cambridge Handbook on Health Research Regulation, where there are several chapters that, that engage with some of these, these challenges about doing public engagement well. Um, and I think also what I'd, I'd take from what you just said there is um, yeah, the, the notion that we, ha we shouldn't imagine that public engagement means just giving publics what they think they want. It's about um, engaging to get to, to um, hear a range of views and perspectives and then use, folding that into future decision making and also giving those publics and other, and other publics and wider society good reasons for the justifications for the route that you actually take. And some publics may not be happy with the decisions that you take and the route that you take, but at least it's transparent and it's clear and there's been that engagement and that opportunity to um, fold into the decision-making process at, at key key junctures. And that, that's where I think public engagement can be done well. And from what I hear you saying, um, that can also inform what we understand by public interest, not in an abstract sense, but also in a very concrete sense and, and context-specific. Because public interest isn't just some abstract notion. It's got to be public interest in a, in a particular setting. I think that's absolutely right. And that's a key output from this research and as you say recognizing the different elements that are engaged here whether it's um, conceptually in relation to process and transparency and indeed the various interests that that are involved there so I think it's really fascinating these concepts that sit really at that nexus of law ethics policy and engagement and I think um, on any interpretation the public interest is one of these. So what are your take-home messages, Annie, for our listeners with respect to the public interest and, it's, and in the context of health research regulation? Well, so I think the first one really is just quite simply that the public interest is a, a concept that's worthy of deeper scrutiny in health research regulation, um, both because of its Im embeddedness, but not just because of that, but also because of it, its potential in the ways that we've talked about today. Um, I think secondly, we often hear about the vagueness of the public interest. And uh, I think framing that as 
yes, a problem and recognising the drawbacks that can have, but also as an opportunity and, and, and looking at how this really points to the need for a holistic concept of the public interest in health research regulation that can take into account that plurality of interests and views that you've talked about. I think third is really that the value of uh, the value of and role of the public interest can't be resolved just through legal or just through empirical notions of the public interest alone. These really bear upon one another. And so if we are to uh, deploy the public interest effectively in health research rela- health research regulation, this relationship really needs to be acknowledged and, and understood more deeply. Thanks, Annie. I'm going to ask you one final tricky question. What are your hopes for the future of health research regulation? Oh, my goodness, that's a big one. I can see why you've left it till last. (laughs) I think as our project acknowledges, much progress has been made in health research regulation, but perhaps too often different components of regulation are considered in silos. And I guess I hope that our research on this project contributes in different ways to promoting uh, that bird's eye view and a whole system approach. In terms of my own work's contribution, um, I hope this helps to clarify the concept of the public interest in health research regulation and perhaps even more importantly, optimise the ways that this is used to protect participants and promote responsible health research. Excellent. Annie, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Graham. Thank you for listening to the Liminal Spaces podcast. To learn more about the project and to listen to the full series, please visit us at www.liminalspaces.ed.ac.uk. This has been a production of Edinburgh Law School at the University of Edinburgh.